Hi, my name is Kate Nemchek, and I work in the Business Science and Technology Department at the Central Enoch Pratt Library. And today, I'm talking with Dr. Ann Bailowitz. She is Chief of the Bureau of Child Health and Immunization for the Baltimore City Health Department. And we are going to talk about vaccines and immunizations. And the first question I have is, what are vaccines? Well, um, very nice to be here, by the way. Uh, Thank you for inviting me. Vaccines are biologically active proteins or sugars that protect human beings, animals as well, depending on whether it's an animal or a human vaccine, against particular infections or cancers. How do vaccines work? Well, just to keep it basic, vaccines work by stimulating uh, the protective systems of our body called the immune system, and they cause antibodies to be formed, and the antibodies in turn fight various infections such as tetanus, which is uh, known as lockjaw, or pertussis, which is whooping cough, and uh, By some other mechanisms, they are also able, in a few instances, to fight cancer. For example, the hepatitis B vaccine, which prevents uh, hepatitis B infection, uh, also prevents hepatitis-induced cancer. Is there a difference between immunizations, vaccinations, and getting your shots? That's a very good question, and I'm glad you asked it. The terms are basically interchangeable. Immunization is the same thing as getting vaccinated and typically is equivalent to a child getting his or her shots. However, you know, obviously physicians, uh, healthcare providers do uh, administer other medications via needle besides vaccines and they are called shots. So, you know, getting your shots might mean some other substances, but, you know, typically the three terms are interchangeable. Are vaccines safe? Vaccines are one of the most tested uh, and vetted uh, and carefully uh, examined pharmaceuticals that have ever come to market. They're ranked as one of the top 10 public health achievements in the 20th century. They are subjected to multi-phase clinical trials. There are typically three clinical trial phases prior to uh, approval by the FDA, and frequently a fourth clinical trial phase, what's called post-marketing surveillance, uh, which occurs even after the product has hit the market, despite the fact that the product has already been tested on many thousands of individuals, so that basically uh, I can, these vaccines are extraordinarily safe. That being said, nothing is perfect, There are adverse effects to anything you put in your body, from food to medication, et cetera. There, in the process of giving a vaccine prior to administering that, the healthcare provider will always go through what the vaccine is, what it prevents, possible side effects, reasons why an individual might not be qualified to receive that vaccine because not everyone should get every vaccine. For example, someone who's had a major problem with a prior shot 
you know, for, for a given disease, uh, namely if they've had a really terrible total body rash or after getting the shot they had problems breathing in a few hours after getting the shot. That individual has had what's called a short-term severe reaction or an anaphylactic reaction, and that person should typically not get that shot again. So that's a group for whom that vaccine is not safe. There are another situation in which a vaccine might not be safe for someone to get is if a person, the patient, is a woman and she's pregnant. These individuals, for example, should not receive live virus vaccines. And in that group are included the chickenpox vaccine. That would be contraindicated in that person's case. So that, that's situations in which, you know, given populations should not receive a vaccine. Now, I'm sure uh, people are well aware of the many issues that have been brought up regarding uh, mercury, which is uh, known more technically as thimerosal. Thimerosal is a preservative that is put into multi-dose vials of vaccine uh, to make sure that the vaccine remains free of bacteria. Thimerosal typically is not found in single-dose syringes of vaccine. There are two types of mercury. There's methyl mercury and ethyl mercury. The methyl mercury is typically associated with very significant neurologic damage, potentially. But to get back to the main substance, namely ethyl mercury, which is the stuff that is found in the few remaining vaccines, by the way, that even use mercury as a preservative, because What's happening, just as a sidebar to my statement, we are tending to go to single-dose syringes, okay, which do not need to have the preservative in them because it's basically one person, one needle, one dose. So that problem is rapidly being phased out. Or the ability to obtain what's called P-free, preservative-free vaccine. That means very, 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 very trace amounts of ethyl mercury, barely subject to detection. Uh, now, all of that being said about, uh, you know, this supposed badness with mercury, I think the very most important point to make, and this, my prior comments really are by way of background about, you know, the bugaboos with mercury and autism and vaccine, the cold hard fact is that when you look at the scientific data, which has been produced and very nicely summarized in two, not one, but two Institute of Medicine reports. And as I'm sure your listeners know, the Institute of Medicine is one of the most widely respected scientific entities in the United States, have failed to find any connection between mercury and vaccines. Thank you very much. If I'm not convinced that vaccines are totally safe for my child, why should I risk immunizing my child when most other children are already going to be vaccinated? Per our prior discussion, uh, I think there, there is very convincing evidence that vaccines are safe. However, if for whatever reason um, you, know, you feel uncomfortable, certainly uh, you know, no one can force you to have your child vaccinated, and I think that's important to realize. Uh, however, you must realize uh, at the same time that your child can run the risk of being excluded from school, depending on the situation. If there should ever be an outbreak of a given communicable disease, the child would, would have to remain at home if that disease is of great significance. Number two, 
Although your child may not get vaccinated and you're, you're focusing in on that child, there may also be other kids who, for a variety of reasons, don't make it to the dock, don't have a dock, et cetera, and are not vaccinated. And before you know it, you're looking at a rather large number of kids who may not be vaccinated, and you run the risk of failing to have the benefit of what's called herd immunity. Herd immunity has been well described, and it basically means that enough people for any given disease are vaccinated against it so that the folks who are not vaccinated don't need to worry about getting sick. Uh, and depending on what um, disease you're looking at, like measles or chickenpox or whatever, you know, the, the percent vaccination uh, rate would, needs to be a, a certain number. And that number, as I said, can be variable, but usually is well over 50 percent in the range of 70 to 90 percent of kids being vaccinated. So that number does have to be up there. So you need to think about some other folks besides yourself. But most of all, I think the concept has to be retained that these are products that are safe. Docs are not in practice to make anyone sick and never have been. It's, it's really the antithesis of, of what they're there for. And that children are meant to be immunized. School laws dictate that a child be fully immunized prior to attending schools. And the, the set of immunizations that you have to have are spelled out very clearly on websites, www edcp.org is the state website. Baltimore City has a good website for checking that, which is www.baltimorehealth.org. Bureau of Child Health and Immunization, 410-396-4454. But the point is uh, these shots have to be obtained before your child gets an education, typically. So I think that's a compelling reason as well. How effective are vaccines? The good news is that they are uh, spectacularly effective. They typically take over 20 years, we say, to go from bench to arm. That means the process of development in the laboratory to actually being administered to a human being. And uh, they pass, as we've already discussed, numerous safety tests, et cetera, et cetera. And the average range of efficacy of a vaccine is between 95 and 100%. And that's, that's extraordinary. And not only is it um, effective, but it is lasting. Now, I do have to make the proviso that for some of the immunizations, uh, we need boosters. Probably one of the most familiar ones is the tetanus. Every 10 years, one is advised to receive a tetanus diphtheria booster. But by and large, the, the primary set, what we call the first one through two through three, or you know, if it's a multi-dose vaccine, uh, the primary set uh, with the initial booster are very, very effective uh, in the range of 95 to 100%. So that's good news. Are measles, chickenpox, mumps, and all those other diseases really so bad that we need to vaccinate all children? Yes. Unfortunately, we're the victims of our own success in the vaccine world. Many years ago, when vaccines were getting started, or when they were really getting more of a scientific focus, shall we say, in the, in the early 20s, people were dying of things like diphtheria, tetanus, which is called lockjaw, pertussis, which is more familiarly termed whooping cough. These were sources of death. And in developing nations today, plenty of kids still die from measles. Again, we need to have both a historical perspective to appreciate the severity and also a global perspective. 
So we have had indeed great success with our current vaccines here in America. As we mentioned in the prior uh, chat, they're highly effective, but that was not the case several years uh, back. Uh, and these can be very, very serious diseases. Measles, for example, can cause, beyond the spotted rash that we're familiar with and a little bit of cold, can cause a brain infection called encephalopathy. It can cause a pneumonia, which can be life-threatening, particularly if an adult or someone with a subpar immune system gets infected. Chickenpox can be deadly for a pregnant woman. It can kill her baby that's inside of her. Again, for an immunocompromised child, for example, chickenpox can be a death sentence. Mumps can cause a male to become sterile. So these are very, very serious uh, illnesses, and uh, there's a very good reason why we require school-age kids, for example, to be protected against them. But I think, unfortunately, we are tranquil as a result of our past success in uh, utilizing and enjoying the benefits of these vaccines. It is so rare that in our country we see the adverse effects of vaccine-preventable diseases. But, you know, I think we're, we're getting some frequent reminders. We've seen across the country outbreaks of mumps on college campuses. Whooping cough is by no means an uncommon infection. So we're getting some gentle reminders. Why are there so many vaccines now? When I was a kid many years ago, there weren't nearly as many shots. You're absolutely correct. Uh, I think the, the big reason is that scientists keep on getting smarter and harder working. We're discovering and being able to put names on new viruses, new bacteria, and we're able to look back, more importantly, and deal with the basic viruses and bacteria and develop immunizations against the important ones. When uh, back in 1985, we had just a few shots and it only cost about $45 for the average child to be fully immunized. In 2006, with the onset of several new vaccines, including the one for uh, cervical cancer, the new one for uh, adolescents and adults for pertussis and a couple of others, it costs the average female $1,200 to be fully immunized, the average female uh, child, and the average male child to be fully immunized at a price tag of $900. So clearly things have changed tremendously in the past 20 years. And these vaccines, again, uh, have been developed with a very good reason in mind. The, one of the newest ones, the human papillomavirus vaccine, um, also known as the anti-cervical cancer vaccine, which right now is just available for women but will soon be available for men as well, attacks one of the most common causes of death of women in the world, cervical cancer. And it is usually effective um, in, the, in the vicinity of 100% effective against the two serotypes of human papillomavirus that cause 70% of the cancer. So that obviously is a vaccine that is greatly needed and useful. The other, uh, some of the other newer vaccines, uh, for example, the one that attacks pertussis or whooping cough in adolescents and adults has a very good reason for being. Currently, pertussis is the number one bacterial vaccine-preventable disease in the United States. We have far from conquered whooping cough. There are the order of 15,000 cases a year recently. And what tends to happen is the body loses its protection that it got from the early set of childhood whooping cough shots, and it needs a little help 
to remember how to protect itself. So this is a very potent um, new vaccine that's especially for adolescents and adults. Rotavirus vaccine, which is a newer vaccine for little kids and has the advantage of being an oral vaccine, so no needles, is likewise uh, has a very good reason for existing. Rotavirus is close to the number one cause of viral diarrheal disease, not only uh, in the U.S., but in uh, the world. And this is a highly effective vaccine for preventing that. And likewise, since this diarrheal disease strikes in young children, not only does it prevent the disease, but it prevents hospitalization. So these new vaccines have very good reason for being and uh, really deserve to be fully implemented. Uh, That implementation has been greatly assisted by the advent of a program called Vaccine for Children, which was founded in 1994 under the Clinton administration and is, um, it has the ability to offer uh, vaccine to children that receive medical assistance and some other subcategories uh, depending on how the state uh, interprets the, uh, the law. So, you know, the, this is a good thing, all of these vaccines, not, not a bad thing. And what is happening um, to save uh, patients' arms, um, not to conceive of them ever as pincushions, is... Uh, There are oral vaccines, as I mentioned, like the rotavirus vaccine, the relatively new flu vaccine, which is called flu mist, that is administered nasally. There are some topical vaccines that are in development, which uh, would go on the skin. And right now, there are what's called multiple antigen vaccines. That means you pack uh, different vaccines in the same shot. Uh, There's uh, a vaccine, for example, that has in a single shot for little kids uh, diphtheria, tetanus, pertussis, hepatitis B, and polio vaccine. So that clearly is very advantageous. It's a single needle, but it has all that protection. And, you know, scientists everywhere are always um, working toward the ideal, you know, that silver bullet that you could administer to a baby right after birth that would have all the good stuff in there and uh, either be a single needle or some magic ingestible, uh, but we're a, a little bit from there. I thought polio was eliminated from the United States. Why is it still on the list of recommended vaccinations? Polio still exists in the Americas. If one looks at you know, North America, Central America, South America, etc., uh, and in our global lifestyle, everyone uh, or almost everyone travels to some degree or is exposed to someone who has been traveling to some degree. Polio is also very much a problem in Africa as well as India where uh, national vaccination days are held, etc. So it, uh, it hasn't gone away as a problem, although certainly we have greatly constricted it uh, in the United States. It still may be a problem in particular populations that uh, ardently do not immunize that are scattered across the United States. And again, uh, folks that are coming to our country from other shores who have not been subjected to the same strict immunization criteria. So to protect uh, everyone's health, it still remains a requirement. But we have by no means totally uh, vanquished that infection. We've just greatly brought down its numbers. What resources does the Baltimore City Health Department offer to encourage people to immunize their children? We have a large number of resources. 
One caveat that I would state before mentioning them, however, is that the very best health care source that a family can have for its child is a what's called a medical home or a provider, a health care provider that knows that child ideally from birth through his or her in, entire young life that would provide not just shots but complete physicals and care for whatever challenges uh, that child might have with regard to his or her health, as well as um, guidance in the best uh, practices for for preventive health. Uh, That being said, the Baltimore City Health Department has many resources for obtaining immunizations. We have what's called fixed site clinics, in other words, clinics that don't move anywhere that are in buildings. One is located on the east side of town called Eastern Health District, and that is at 620 North Caroline Street in the 21205 zip code. The other is on the west side of town. That is the Druid Health District site, and that is at 1515 West North Avenue, and the zip code is 21217. Both of those are uh, operated varying times, uh, and they are listed on our website. Each month, a complete schedule goes up, uh, not only of the clinics at those sites, but also throughout town because we have community health fairs that we sponsor uh, with our mobile tyke van, as well as other sites throughout the community. And all of that information can be found at the health department's website, which is www.baltimorehealth.org. So there are those uh, facilities, both fixed and mobile. In addition, we have outreach efforts that are conducted by our staff, particularly targeted at kids from birth through four years of age, because we found that that is the greatest risk, so to speak, for falling out of compliance with your shots. And that involves our staff reaching at-risk families uh, either in person or by phone or by mail, We also have a very powerful database, a computerized database, which is called BIRP, B-I-R-P, which stands for the Baltimore Immunization Registry Program. There is a city law, it was passed by the city council, that requires practitioners who work in the city of Baltimore to report to this registry all shots given to kids zero through six years of age. So this registry is pretty complete has well over a million records in it and is an invaluable source of information. Not only does it have records of little kids, but for the past several years we have been inputting records uh, for older children as well and adults. So it really is a multifunctional uh, source of information. And we use this registry so that we can stay current on the highest risk areas for under immunization and target our clinics to be located in exactly those areas so that we can continue to be of service to those who need us the most. Uh, And then finally, I already mentioned the website, www.baltimorehealth.org. A few times it is good. Check it out. And lastly, we have some partner facilities that we work closely with called quasi-governmental organizations. One of them is called uh, Baltimore Healthcare access, and that's at 410-649-0521. Perhaps best of all, aside from the fact that we offer these resources, 
is that our services at the Baltimore City Health Department are offered free of charge. Uh, that means most particularly the shots that are given at the standing clinics as well as in the community are free. They are provided uh, on a walk-in basis at the fixed site clinics, and they are provided specifically for Baltimore City residents. We're here uh, as, a, uh, as a service to people who live in Baltimore City. These clinics, uh, the two standing clinics as well as the ones through the community, uh, are geared to individuals who typically do not have resources for their health care. In other words, um, individuals who either have no health insurance or underinsured or who have medical assistance for their children and thus qualify for the vaccine for children's program. Individuals who have private insurance are best advised to refer themselves to their own physicians for their immunizations. We are, however, at the health department, the Bureau of Immunization, happy to work with their physicians if for any reason they do not have a given vaccine, particularly if it's a brand new vaccine, we will assist them in every way possible to obtain that vaccine for their patient. Thank you very much. Let's talk about adults and vaccinations. I thought the vaccinations that I got when I was a kid would last my entire life. So why am I hearing advertising that says adults need vaccines too? It is the truth. We have not entirely escaped the needle. Happily, we do not get them as adults with the same frequency that our children did. But to me, this is one of the most exciting areas of vaccinology. It has long been uh, the aim of the Centers for Disease Control, the CDC, that adults would benefit from immunizations uh, as have children for a long time. This has occurred uh, for quite a while with regard to flu. I think everyone's uh, familiar with the need to get an annual flu vaccine to stay protected against that disease. However, the point of the matter is that there are numerous other vaccines which are of use for adults. Another familiar one, which I mentioned previously, is the need every 10 years, uh, typically defined for a tetanus diphtheria booster. And that makes a lot of sense because this classically protects you against that uh, jab from a rusty nail that can give you tetanus, etc. One never knows when that's going to occur, and you have to keep renewing your protection against that as you age your uh, immune system unfortunately ages along with you and it needs some reminders to uh, to keep you protected so that's one critical reason why as adults we need immunization I mentioned uh, another one again in prior uh, discussion new vaccines there is the the new uh, shingles vaccine, for example, that is a protector. One uh, has to be 60 years or above to receive that. It's, it's a very useful one. Uh, every year, more than a million people suffer the pain of shingles. And this is a vaccine which is uh, effective in, in protecting people against that and should be obtained if at all possible. Thirdly, with our active lifestyles, there are some other vaccines that in, in modern-day 
uh, in our modern day world uh, are helpful also, particularly when we travel. Hepatitis A and B are indicated. Unfortunately, as we read the papers, uh, we hear about foodborne outbreaks that have resulted in hepatitis A, for example. One needs that protection. Uh, if you haven't gotten it as a child, then there's always the opportunity for catch-up as an adult. What are the recommended vaccines for adults? There are several. And again, to have a complete black and white written compendium, so to speak, I do refer you to the um, CDC website, which is cdc.gov slash vaccine. Uh, I'm happy to enumerate uh, several of them here. Uh, and they include, as I mentioned, your annual influenza vaccine which really is, uh, is a must for anyone from six months of age to 100-plus years of age who wants to avoid getting the flu. And it is, unfortunately, something we have to get every year. Happily, uh, that, uh, that puts it in a relatively unique category. There are other vaccines, such as the tetanus diphtheria booster, which are typically every 10 years. Uh, there are some exceptions to that uh, that uh, require it more frequently. I'm not going to get into that here, but that's an important one to get. And now uh, that there has been added to that the protection against pertussis or whooping cough, we talk about getting a Tdap rather than a TD for at least uh, one of those booster shots. And you can talk with your doctor in more detail about that. Thirdly, uh, protection against hepatitis A. It's useful when you're traveling abroad, but it's also useful when you're going into X, Y, or Z restaurant in a new locale. Hygiene might not be so great, et cetera, et cetera. Hepatitis A can be certainly picked up from uh, suboptimal conditions uh, as you travel within the U.S. as well as through the rest of the world. So that's important protection to have. Hepatitis B, likewise, is, um, is an important protection to have if you didn't receive it as a child. And by the way, Hep A and Hep B are both immunizations which you should have received as a child depending on your age. If you missed out and are a little bit more vintage, they didn't exist maybe when you were a kid, um, you know, you haven't run out of luck, you can catch up. As you age, there is a uh, protective vaccine against pneumonia. This would be the adult pneumonia shot, which typically, if you're a healthy adult, is uh, not given until you reach 65 years of age. However, there are certain chronic disease conditions which argue for more frequent dosing starting at an earlier age, and you should consult your own physician for advice about that. There is also the shingles vaccine I mentioned. You have to be at least 60 years of age to receive that, and that, so far as information is available now, is thought to be a uh, one-time scenario rather than requiring booster doses, but I emphasize that that is one of our newest vaccines, and we will be learning uh, more about the requirements for a booster in the future, and that will become a particularly important question since we know that we're all going to live to at least 80 or 90 or try to. There is a very exciting uh, new vaccine, the human papillomavirus vaccine, the anti-cervical cancer vaccine, which is right now limited to use in females from age 9 years through 26 years. That is uh, an important one. Uh, studies are now ongoing that will uh, expand that age range into um, the realm of older women, and we're going to be hearing about that in the near future. Likewise, uh, the vaccine will be offered for males in the near future. If you're traveling abroad and have not received 
polio vaccine. For whatever reason, you should also be up to date on your polio. And likewise, in a a similar way, if you have either not had disease uh, due to measles, mumps, and German measles, or chickenpox, or if you're not sure that you've had it, uh, you can either have titers done on those or you can simply go ahead and... uh, and get the protection of those immunizations. So it's uh, it's quite a, a gamut for adults, and just as we've seen for children, uh, you know, I'm expecting that there will be new vaccines added to the listing for adults. Tell me about resources that the Baltimore City Health Department has for adults to get vaccinated. Our best-known resource that we've been uh, involved with for well over uh, a dozen years is the influenza or flu vaccination campaign that we conduct throughout Baltimore City every fall. So that is an opportunity for adults who live in Baltimore City uh, and, again, who typically don't have access to the best of insurance, namely those who either have no insurance or underinsured or who have Medicare, Okay, this is a different subgroup, again, because we're talking about folks that are 65-plus, so Medicare works as well. Ideally for us to serve those individuals who have less than optimal access to health care. Another resource, of course, is one's own physician. And, again, if an individual is lucky enough to have his or her own private insurance, we do encourage them to make use of their own physician and again, if in the case of a new vaccine, uh, such as the shingles vaccine, um, if a physician has a 60-year-old patient, um, 60 years or above, who desires to receive that vaccine and the physician um, is not uh, sure how to access that, we would certainly work with the physician to implement that for the patient. The problem with adult vaccines, the third point I wanted to make about this, Um, and what Baltimore City offers is that very much unlike um, the situation for kids that has the wonderful Vaccine for Children's platform that enables uh, under-accessed children to receive free vaccines, the situation is not yet um, in place for financing of adult vaccines. There is no what we call VFA or Vaccine for Adults financing platform that exists to pay for uh, vaccines for adults that don't have the dollars to pay for the vaccine. So for flu, we are able to, through uh, a process called third-party billing, it's it's probably more complex than folks want to hear about, but long story short, we're able to bill as a public health entity, a health department, for what we do and recoup uh, a very small amount of money, and each year we can buy some vaccine and offer it to those at highest need for receiving flu vaccine. That option is um, available also for pneumonia vaccine for individuals who have Medicare, and uh, we likewise do that. So for flu and pneumonia, for those who have Medicare, we third-party bill, and we receive reimbursement, and that in turn allows the health department to uh, purchase small quantities of vaccine for those most at need. Uh, That situation does not pertain, at least yet, for the other vaccines that we were just talking about. 
uh, particularly the you know the wonderful shingles vaccine, which could do so much good uh, for those who receive it, nor any of the others. And this, I know, is something that the Centers for Disease Control is grappling with. Um, this is something that Congress is grappling with, and it very much needs to be solved. We we feel very strongly that the benefits of preventive medicine, as epitomized by immunization absolutely should be offered to adults, and right now we cannot fully realize that, primarily because of financial constraints. So that has to be addressed uh, the way in the past, in 1994, it was addressed and effectively implemented for children through the Vaccine for Children's campaign. So an additional resource uh, for adult vaccinations, uh, which is available to folks uh, with web access, is, uh, again, the CDC website, um, www.cdc.gov slash vaccines, uh, where, they can, uh, where people can learn more, and at www.baltimorehealth.org. Bureau of Child Health and Immunization, 410-396-4454. Thank you very much.